everybody, welcome back. This is Play Games Lose Friends. I'm your host, Ryan. I'm here with Ken. Hello, Ken. Hello. We've got a good one for everybody today. We're going to review Charterstone, our first legacy game we got to play together. Uh, we're going to talk a bit about the top five gaming gadgets that we use at the table when we get the chance to play with a group. Things that make gaming a little bit more tolerable, knowing that majority of what we play has about 75,000 components at this point. Uh, we're also going to take a look at some stuff that we're looking forward to from Kickstarter and purchases we've made. But before we get started, just a little shout out to one of our sister podcasts. I think that's what you called it. Yeah, I believe that's the technical term for it. In the Nerdhammer family, we have a gaming group that we're a part of. And there's a podcast out there called, I believe, Drunken Disorderly, which is based off of uh, Kings of War group within Nerdhammer that's uh, pretty heavy tournament players. So we wanted to give a quick shout out to them because they shouted out our podcast last time. You can check them out at Drunken Disorderly. Was that a weight joke? A weight joke. Why? You said that they're heavy gamers? Yeah, well... You know, I wasn't going there, but Jesus. Uh, yeah, so you can check them out, Drunken Disorderly. Uh, they are on Spotify and probably other podcasts uh, like Apple and who knows what else. I always check them out on Spotify, but it's very good. Uh, they focus primarily on Kings of War, including tournaments and stuff in the region. Um, so if you're a war gamer, that's an excellent one to check out. Thank you to Rob for uh, plugging us, and, and there's your plug back, buddy. Yeah, they're definitely good dudes. Um, I don't play Kings of War, but I enjoy the podcast. So I don't think I'm going to ruin that experience by playing it. So I'll just listen about it. We get a lot of shit for not playing that game. You know that. <laughs> yeah, we're like the uh, the outcasts of our gang. Yeah. I, I, I'll be honest, like reading about or listening to that and, and hearing about Crossroads made me sad. I, I wanted to go along. I really did, but. I just don't have war game in me anymore. Yeah. I just don't. Yeah, pushing pushing trays across a table with <laughs> Oh, that's just not my thing anymore. Uh one thing they do well though is something that I think we're gonna add to this podcast moving forward, and that is they do a little segment at the beginning of the show where they talk about the beer they're drinking. So we are going to start the beer review. Hence the drunk. Yes, hence the drunk. In the drunken disorder. So let's uh, let's talk yeah. a little bit about our beers. Go ahead. So I uh, am having a Founders Unraveled IPA. It is a my newest favorite IPA at current. It is a 6.6. Um, and if you uh, enjoy Founders and haven't tried it, I highly recommend it. It is a juicy IPA. Ryan, what about yourself? Does it come with pants that say juicy on the ass? <laughs> I'm wearing them, buddy. Oh, God. Uh, I have a sour. <laughs> Try to sleep now. <laughs> sour from Toppling Goliath, which has probably become one of my favorite breweries. Um, I got a big pack of 40th birthday beer from Joe, who's also in our gaming group. So thanks to Joe for that. And he gave me four or five different toppling goliaths. This one's called Dragon Fandango. It is mango, passion fruit, and dragon fruit, and pours a deep red. And it sits well on the palate. It is uh, very good. You would dig it. You're a big sour guy. This is definitely up your alley. Is it? Yeah. Is it lactose or no? No. It, uh, at least I don't think Oh, so. even better. And I can't even, even tell better. what the ABV is because I think, unless I'm completely blind, toppling goliath just doesn't print the alcohol content on their cans. 
So, mm. but I'm assuming it's light, but it's very, very good. Yeah, but sometimes a, a sour that tastes light can be uh, uh, disguised as something more vicious. <laughs> I remember. And out of nowhere, you're like, yeah, I, I was shopping for, for six dolls in the, in the keyser I have in the basement, and I remember looking around at our local distributor, and I found a sour that was a watermelon sour. It was 14% or something ridiculous Ugh. like that. And I was like, I got to try this. I'm sure it's going to be, it's either going to be amazing or it's going to be one of the worst things ever. It was definitely the latter. It was just like burning, burning. It was awful. Yeah. At that point, you might as well just drink liquor. Yeah, pretty much. And I think it was pretty damn expensive for a sixth or two. So that was out. All right. Um, So it's been, what, two weeks, I think, since we recorded last. Um, Yeah. That means we've had plenty of time to play games. So let's dive in. You would think, right? (laughs) (laughs) Let's dive into what we got into. Uh, I'm going to assume you got 50 solo games in because you love solo games. (laughs) Uh, Wrong, but but good guess. How about you go first? All right. Uh, So I've got two that we got in. First being another playthrough of Ankh, which I'll talk about in a sec. But first, I wanted to cover Scythe. Uh, I've had Scythe for a while. Um, I like the game a lot. I just haven't got a ton of plays. I think we played, what, two games the one time you were here um, with the group mm-hmm. of four. And, you know, we had fun. Um, I don't know if we had enough fun to get it back to the table next time because we just have so much variety to pick from. But one thing I never really did was play solo. I never tried Scythe solo. I, I, I'd lie. I actually tried it. I think I got it for Christmas one year and I tried it like that week I was off or something. And I got into the automata rules and just shut the book. I'm like, I'm not doing this because the movement, literally the movement AI is like three pages. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, but it's really not as bad as, as it's kind of spelled out in the book once you get the hang of it. So I sat down, I gave that, uh, three separate tries. First two games I got beat down horribly to the point where I'm like, I I don't know if this is beatable. And then I kind of sat there and just thought about it a bit and based off the AI moves and and kind of what the cards are, the way it works is there's a deck of cards. That's basically uh, two sides and there's a phase for each side. So as you're playing the first side, uh, green is kind of the automata moves and bonuses it gets and all this other stuff. And then the second side is red, I think, and, and it gets a little bit more complicated as time goes by. And I don't know if you remember Scythe a lot, but you place stars as you complete certain objectives. And when the la- first player plays their sixth star, the game ends right then and there. Yes. Uh, and so the AI has this card on it with a tracker cube that you put. And every time you flip an automata card, there's either a star in the middle of the card or there isn't. And if there is, you move that tracker. And of course, as you move it, there's whole stars on that. And so every time you reach one of those, you place a star on the on the board to you know signify that the AI has placed a star. So you're really on a tight timer as you play. And it is very tough the first couple times through trying to grasp like, all right, not only do I need to kind of like slow their expansion because you score points based off of the number of spaces that are controlled or hexes that are controlled at the end of the game by your, you know, your units. But you also have to try to complete your own objectives in that time. And and there's so many different objectives in Scythe that it's very tough to kind of focus on where you want to go. Um, But the third game, I think I finally got the hang of this 
And I basically was constantly pushing back their units, killing their, their mechs more or less in combat by guaranteeing I could either get two mechs in on a combat or I had, you know, power or power card advantage. Um, and that was the key. It basically kept pushing them back to their board and making it that much harder for them to get any, you know, movement done through military units. And I think I ended up winning by like 15, 20 points. Um, and it just made me want to get more scythe in. Uh, I, I really do like that game. I, I do agree. With, there's a lot of sentiment out there for scythe where it is such a cool production, right? It's a Stonemeyer game, and we'll talk about another Stonemeyer yeah. game later when we get to Charterstone. It's great production. The art is awesome. The cards are awesome. The gameplay is is engaging and fun. There's a lot of tension in that game. I mean, that theme, just that weird, yeah. unique sort of. A dystopian alternate universe. It's exactly, just, it's very unique. I, 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 that was what drew me into it in the beginning, and that yes. was, I think, that was like early Kickstarter too. I think that was on, and yeah. um, it was like I just didn't know enough, and I was like, I don't know about this one, you know? Yeah, and and, and but uh, I think that's part but definitely of that. it's it's high regarded. That's part of that sentiment that's out there is is that you look at the art the box art the dystopian sort of uh picture it paints and you see the mechs and you're like oh sweet mechs like i'm just gonna go blow shit up this is gonna be great and you don't like most times when you yeah, like ed game, 209 from yeah. robocop in a cornfield <laughs> is amazing like <laughs> you know like <laughs> yeah but you just don't like you, you have combat in the game and it's there, but it's you could play a whole game of Scythe and never fight and still win. And and I like that about it. I think that's cool because there's more than one way to win, but I think it gets a bad rap sometimes because visually it seems like, all right, we're just going to go out in the field in the middle of the Siberian plain and just ham-fist slug each other with these mechs and blow each other up. And there's none of that, really. It's like, well, all right, we use a dial and <clears throat> flip a couple cards and your mech goes bye-bye. Yeah, and so like... This is going to be my first throwback to our first episode. Um, what Scythe sometimes gets dinged for is it's a, what, sort of worker placement area control race game, right? But it's not yep. a race game. But it, but it is a race game, right? But it's disguised as this other stuff. Yep. So it gets dinged a lot for that, um, which, again, maybe it's one of those, you know, if you look at uh, RTS, right, there was build orders and there's ways to do it. Maybe I just don't see that. Um, but I felt the playthroughs that we had, it was very balanced and there was it was swingy on who would win, regardless of who went first or who did something first. I don't know. I didn't see it, but maybe I'm just not that good of a player at it. You know what I mean? No, I think I don't think it was like a, a skill thing that time we played. I think this. I've noticed this trend, and we'll talk again. We'll talk about uh, Charterstone a bit. I've noticed this trend with Stonemeyer games. We've played Wingspan's a little bit of an a exception lot. because Jamie Stegmeyer didn't design it, but like Red Rise, yeah. Scythe, uh, Charterstone, Charterstone. And there's some other instances. They all kind of have this like core gameplay, but then the balance comes in all these weird scoring tracks that exist in addition to the game. So like Red Rising. When we first got that, you you got the collector's edition we played, and it was like, okay, this yep. is Fantasy Realms with some a board. Um, yeah, 
you know, and, and Scythe is kind of like, okay, here's a, almost like an Eric Lange control, a dudes on a map game with some scoring tracks in it, it added to it and a slight bit of economy. Yeah. So it's like, well, yeah, cause it's got the tableau building, like yes. where you take the little pieces off and put them on the board. Like it almost has an Uwe Rosenberg type style to it where you like remove the meeples and put them on the board and stuff. So yeah, that, it, so, it resonated a little bit more like that to me. Yep. I, I just think that a lot of the Stegmire games have that in, in common across the board and, and you feel it when you play it. If you know any of his other games that Scythe kind of is one of the first really big ones, but then you see that happen in a lot of these other games and, and we'll talk about that, like I said later, but yeah, but I mean, I've, I've, you know, I've heard stuff about what is it? Tapestry. Um, I have not played then, that yet. Um, there was another, I'm, I'm trying to think of King Ludwig. No, there's a, like a third one, like it was Scythe, Tapestry, and, and something else. I forget what it's the third one was, but it was like, yeah, Pendulum, Pendulum, Pendulum. Yep, that's it. Like, it's weird. Like, they all have this high production value, but yet they're, it, it, it's, um, you've got people on one side that are like, eh, it's not that good. Then you got people on the other side that are like, this game's amazing. Another home run from Stegmire, right? Like, so it's like, you almost can't judge a Stonemeyer game by its cover until you play it yourself because there's that much on both sides, you yeah, know? Absolutely. And, and the thing, too, I think that I've noticed with his games, and Scythe is like a good example because Scythe they actually have like tournament play for. Like it's it gets seriously competitive. His games are really, really, for the most part, very well balanced, but they don't have the type of depth I think people expect from them when they look at them or play them for the first time. I think that happens. Yeah. They look more complicated than what they are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They look there. They have like an intimidating presence, but then you're like, Oh, I'm just doing this, this, and this. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. I could do that for hours, you know? Yeah. And, and like this turned you into know? like, I didn't intend for this to turn into kind of mini review on scythe, but um, <laughs> it, it kind of, made me start thinking about it again and why we have not picked it up since. I mean, I know we have had some legacy games in between that we'll talk about in future episodes, but uh, you know, that time that we spent playing it, we liked it. I think everybody wanted more of it, but not enough to get it to the table in favor of some of the other stuff we played since then. And that was quite some time ago. So, but yeah, I got Scython um, and then I got to play some Ankh and uh, we did another four player game. We randomly assigned gods this time. So I believe it was, uh, same group as last time, uh, same group of guys. I had Osiris. Yeah, Osiris. Uh, I think Joe had Bastet, which is the one you really wanted to play, the, the cat lady. Um, oh, the cat one, yeah. Yeah, she is weird. She gets these little cat tokens that have uh, <laughs> stickers. Like, I just picture the, the crazy cat lady from Simpsons. <laughs> yeah. That's all I see. Like, <laughs> just throwing them out. <laughs> Uh, but she, she's weird. She has these little, there's three little cat tokens that have stickers on the bottom and she can put them out on monuments on the board. And when conflict happens, if the cat is there, you can kill one of your own guys to get rid of it or you leave it and it potentially gives him a strength bonus and strength bonuses in that game are huge. And there's one of the, one of the cats gives him a plus three strength bonus, which is like better than any guardian in the game, except for like the gigantic crocodile powered by mummy deaths or something. But uh, so he had Bastet. Uh, Brad had uh, Sobek, which is the crocodile dude that puts water tiles on the board. And then Kirby had the monkey, uh, Toth or Thoth. I, I don't know how to say it. 
need to brush hmm. up my Egyptian names. But that one has like this gambling mechanic as its power where um, you can like bet followers to predict the cards that are going to play in combat. And if you get it right, it gets you devotion, which is really good. But if you get it wrong, you have to give them the followers. So you're kind of benefiting hmm. your opponent if you screw up. And of course, you so know, it's got like a little bit of a pressure luck type style to it. Yeah, in and, a way. And the reward, of course, is devotion, which it is hard as hell in that game to get devotion through any other means than than conflict. So it can give you a really good edge if you play it smart. But you know, again, it's like second time playing, so it's not like uh, Kirby was going to nail most of the predictions in the first place. Um, but we played uh, we played before a couple weeks before that. And it took us four hours to get the game in. And I thought, damn, this is long. Like, we should be totally good next time. We know the rules. You know, we're going to change gods in the scenario, but it should be fairly simple. It took us four and a half hours. I was just going to say four and a half? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I I didn't realize it's that heavy. And it's not – we use the term, like, crunchy, like a lot of rules and and strategy. It's not that complicated, but all the decisions you have to make make it so difficult throughout the turns to make a choice on kind of where you want to go and whether or not you want to move certain tracks forward to get to the events, which is a big deal. Well, now, how much how much does the fact that you mixed up the gods this time play into that factor, right? Because that's <clears throat> potentially the beauty of Ankh is there's so many characters, right, that you could swap in and out. Yeah. That adds to replayability. They're very asymmetric from what I could read, you know, from, from looking at it. Like, how much does that play into the uh, learning curve every time you have to play? Because, you know, your, your core it, mechanics like, are the same, right? They're always going to be the same, but depending on the character, it's going to do those things differently, right? It's Somewhat. it's It doesn't change the core of the game much. It, it affects, I, I would say, like, so... I would say like maybe a third to half, a third to a quarter of, of the gods have things that kind of trigger for conflicts, like Kirby's power is conflict, Joe's power is conflict. So if there's no conflict event, you're not even using the power. You're not doing anything with it. Okay. Um, so you unlock more power, was, right? Like you, you upgrade them and get different stuff. So it happens at different times or? Yeah, but those are symmetrical. It just is once and done. Oh, okay. Yeah. So like your god dashboard, you can get Ankh powers for for your god as you play, but they're symmetrical across all the players, but what you select could be slightly different than another player. So that's where there's variation, but the god powers themselves are so... They are very distinct and unique, and it's really cool, and you do have a point there. There is a little bit more complexity if you're swapping from the last time you played, but not enough to not enough to make us go four and a half hours. I think another, what happened... An extra half hour? Yeah, I think what happened is... So we played a different scenario... And that kind of blew people's minds a bit. It was different. We played a really basic one the first time. This time we had another... The game divides the map up into regions. And when you control regions, you gain victory points as conflicts resolve. In this one, there was a top region with two cities in it. And each one was divided up into a region. So it was just one per city or one one city per region. And if you dominated it meaning you controlled it completely or you win combat in it your devotion score is increased by one so it's basically double the devotion for winning and so people were like yeah focused on that like well, okay this is a great way to do that but we also play with the pharaoh expansion and the pharaoh we had does the same thing and you can move him around by using these priests that that sit which you know when we do a review i'll go more into the rules but it, it's 
There's yeah. so much to kind of consider turn to turn and so much that can change between turns that you're just constantly readjusting your strategies for the most part throughout the game. And I think that's why it makes it take so long, but it was a great time. Yeah, I, um, you're going to get to play it. I got to play. Yeah. Next week, hopefully. Um, so yeah. we'll have to talk about that. Maybe that'll be our review that week. It, it's, it's a fantastic game. I absolutely love it. Despite the play time, I've had fun <clears throat> the whole time we played. Um, and I can't wait to get yeah, my, uh, my sober October of video of board games is almost up. Sober October. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's tough. That's tough. How about you? What did you yeah. get in, in the last, uh, last two weeks? So, uh, I, I really haven't had too much. Um, you know, it's been, again, as I, you know, sort of joked, you know, there's been a very busy month, a lot of stuff going on. Um, but I actually did get to play a, a classic game and I got to play it twice on Saturday. Um, uh, I played chess. Wow. Um, and, um, it's been years since I played chess with anybody. And, um, we had a, we had a party here at the house for my niece who turned 21 and her father, so drunk, I, drunk chess. When, mm, well, I was only drinking Jackos. Shots. <laughs> I was no, I was a, uh, I was only drinking Jacko, so I was feeling good, but not twisted. Um, <laughs> but so again, I've known again. She's twenty one, right? She was born in two thousand, so I've known her dad for twenty one years. And every time we would get together, or we would have a function or something like him and I would just play chess. Uh, we'd go off and and play chess. And again, I. I jokingly said, I think the last time I played chess actually was with you, <laughs> right? And that was probably, I don't know, 10 years ago, right? Something like that. Um, but we played twice. Um, I ended up winning both. The second game was a little bit closer than the first. Um, but it's just, I don't know, it's one of those things. It was, you just, you don't lose it. Like, you don't lose, once you, like, once you know chess and you play chess and, uh, nerd alert i i was on the uh my high school chess club team <laughs> so it's like <laughs> once you uh you know once you have that and you've played to a certain level and you just never lose it and it just you just snap right back into sort of chess mode like all right i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do this like the you know there's core moves that you do you control the middle you understand the points um and, and then you just weirdly just go to war to to quote Eric when it uh, <laughs> you know go to war, um, and that's just chess. Uh, it doesn't seem like it, but it is. Um, so I got to play that twice. So it was about uh, I don't know a couple hours of chess, which was nice. Did so you? It was, uh, when we worked together. Interesting to still. <laughs> so oh, the four way chess. So four -way yeah, chess. you remember that? You remember that? Oh, I love four way chess. I just got rid of that because I could not get anybody to play that i had a copy of it oh, sitting in the basement it's so good like why did you oh 10 years i mean you can find it online it's just like i could never get anybody to play that was oh, that was some of the best. and we had that little we had the little plastic disc that used to come in the ring of cd roms and it would just say your yeah. turn and you would move it around the board oh it's so good yeah that oh man i love that <laughs> game four-way chess was so good I have not played chess in so long. I tried to get my son to play. He just he doesn't want to learn it. 
but the, every time I would go downstairs and you know pick something out of the gaming co- uh, cabinet, I'd f- look at that and just be like, "Oh God, I want to do four way because it's just so cutthroat, so much politics, everyone's an <laughs> asshole to each other, so much fun." You were talking about playing games, losing friends, four way chess. You lose friends. I'm pretty sure we had. I don't remember if it was Updi or somebody else, but we were just fighting. We were fi- like ready to physically fight because. I mean, I remember was- like sending emails to talk <laughs> about like moves, like because like you were just trying to get someone on your side. Yep. I mean, you want to talk politics when it comes to a board game? Like four way chess is is something. Yeah. Well, I hope that in. Uh, about what a week and a day, we can end your your sober October with uh, some some Eric Long goodness with four gaming. Yeah, no, I'm excited. Yeah, uh, I'll be coming in hot I'll, to that one too. Yeah, and you'll probably make it take five hours. <laughs> exactly. All right. Um, so our <coughs> rotating topic this week, we're going to chat a little bit about gaming gadgets. So this is a top five list of things that each of us bring to the table or wish we had at the table that make a gaming experience that much better. Uh, most people don't have the $15,000 Wormwood prophecy tables and uh, what $200 Wormwood dice trays and towers. Um, <laughs> most of us kind of do our little budget shopping here and there to pick up cool, cool components to help, uh, you know, get stuff to the table, maybe get it cleaned up and uh, put, put out faster or stuff that just helps with the uh, organization. So let's chat. You start. What's your number five uh, gaming gadget that you bring to the table? So I'm giving an honorable mention off the bat. You love <laughs> That's going to be my thing. I'm always going to give an honorable mention. It didn't make the list. It was obviously close. Uh, I just put sleeves. Um, now the reason why it's, it's, it's an, only an honorable mention is, I'm not good at sleeving all of my games. Uh, obviously, we have a friend who was big into sleeving, has busted stones about sleeves for years. I, I just, I, I think they're cool. I like them. It's just such a pain in the butt to just buy sleeves for 200 some games. Like, come on. <laughs> I'll get the, you know, like the games that I know see play where I want to preserve it. You know what I mean? Like looters. Like looters has sleeves because looters sees play. You know? And looters gets played when there's alcohol involved and spills. Right? So like, you know, it makes sense. But like, you know, Blood Rage doesn't need like little sleeves and other, like, I, I don't know. I'm, that's not my thing. So I, I appreciate sleeves. I, I understand the necessary evil of them. But they're just an honorable mention for me. I'll go with you. I'll go in with you on honorable mention there because there are games where I, I have added them. Uh, and there are games where I, if I have to shuffle, they can pound sand. Like I'm not doing it. I hate shuffling. Sleeves. <laughs> and then on top of that, like Scythe, a great example. I'm out, I'm downstairs playing it and I'm like, I should probably sleeve some of these cards. They're all different sizes. I ordered like these yeah, I mean- Euro standard sizes. They're too big. So then you got to go online and look. There's literally a website. Now, Grant, where, th- there's a site you just put yeah. in the board game and it tells you what to get. I get it. But, like, that's just – come on. How much more work do I need to do to, like, play a game? Like, And then and then you order those sleeves and, like, will they work for any game other than that if you purge that game, right? Yeah. 
Exactly. Because now you're you're spending almost as much money on the sleeving of it as you did to get the game in the first place. Yeah. And that's just... Now, granted, some of the components and things we're going to be talking about, like, yes, they are as expensive as the game, but they are definitely add more value, I'll say, right? If you, you know, when it comes yep. to it. All right. So number five. So number five, and this has been... Um, I, I want to say the last, I'll, I'll give it, I don't know, let's say five years. Um, and, uh, it's, 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 it's more of a convenience and a nice thing. And, uh, so my number five is going to be, it's, it's sort of a dual thing. So I have it as little baggies and tuck boxes. So games that actually come with extra baggies to put the components in. Or tuck boxes to put the cards and organize the cards, or, or to you know to put stuff in its place. Um, I, I just think that's awesome. And some games come with those. Most games do come with those nowadays. Because, but I know I've got some games that have old old school Ziploc, and there's just something just so lame about busting out Ziploc bags of components <laughs> to play a game as opposed to those little. Nice little dime baggies, you know what I mean, of, of components. But so that's my number five baggie slash tuck boxes. If you had told me ten years ago that I would sit down and record a podcast where we're reviewing <laughs> top five items and one of them was plastic bags, I'd probably just tell me I'm wrong though. Disagree? I'm not, with I'm not me. disagreeing like, with you. You can't, right? <laughs> I'm just I'm pointing out where we are in life and and mm-hmm. whether or not mm-hmm. I should be happy with this. I don't know. All right. Uh, number five for me is uh, premium dice. So there's quite a few games now that just come with really good dice. Uh, the dice and oath are great. Um, there, like most games, just come with great dice anymore. Didn't always, you know, work that way. That wasn't always the case. Um, and certainly, if you play role playing games like Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder, any of that stuff. Um, it's a whole industry board. just on those dice. It's crazy, and I, I'm guilty of yeah. it. I did uh, back the Wormwood uh, Dispel Dice Kickstarter, so I have some super fancy D&D dice coming in next year that I hope to get to use. But um, there's something about just having a really, really sweet set of dice when you play games like that that just makes you, you know, those rolls feel a little bit more cool and important than if you just, you know, had some crap you picked up at the store for five bucks um doesn't mean well that's my style specifically with dice (laughs) yeah the crap at the store for five. you know me and dice i'm not a big dice guy i mean you Uh, you, doesn't matter uh, what you get you're gonna roll poorly so but yeah that's my number five is super nice dice all right number four um and, and you know it's so funny like just this topic in general how Weirdly pretentious it is when it comes to uh-huh. board games. <laughs> just talking about this. This is an indication right, so, to listeners just how deep we are into this shit. All right, so so my number four is like uh, I think it's called like linen uh, styled cards. Yeah, I also put like a chem. If you remember poker, when poker was a huge thing, we used to play with a chem deck mm-hmm. of cards, and these are just. They just, and I'm again, I'm a shuffler. I love shuffling cards. Like, I could shuffle cards 
like all day long. Like I could just have a deck of cards and shuffle. I love shuffling cards. And when you get that linen finish, chem sort of texture to a card, oh, shuffling them is just a godsend. So that's my number four is like, I guess, fancy cards <laughs> or, yeah. or good shuffle cards. That like <laughs> thatch pattern that you can see as you shine them. You know, oh, they the almost look like they were stitched by hand, you know? Uh-huh. You could tell the card You could see the is, fibers of them. Yeah. yeah. That's one thing I will say about all the Stonemeyer games is that, that the cards are that, and it's always great. Oh, those cards are so good. Uh, to go you can with, make love to a set of cards. <laughs> that might be the show title. Uh, <laughs> number four for me ties into number five, and that's a nice dice tray. Um, so if you are going to be rolling, having a table to roll them in. If you can afford one of those beautiful recessed gaming tables, good for you. I hate your guts. Uh, but if you can't having a nice dice tray helps, whether it's a wooden one, I got a nice one for my birthday this year. Thanks to my, uh, lovely spouse. I think it's walnut. Yeah, it's walnut very nice with a, a blue leather base and God damn, it's nice to roll dice in that thing. <laughs> It sounds so stupid, it, but uh, when you're playing and they're bouncing all over the table, they're bouncing on the board and knocking stuff off of places that you know are specific on a board or a map, or they're falling off the table, it's just nice to have a place to roll dice that is orderly but also kind of stylish. And you can get some pretty well, nice dice trays online now through Etsy or other places for pretty affordable prices, and they're no joke. They're pretty nice. So, yeah, that's my number four. Well, listening to you talk about the dice, tr- the dice tray and, like, the different – make and wood and felt and all the different patterns to it. It's like uh it's like Harry Potter where all the where all the wands were like they're unique <laughs> to the wizard, you know? <laughs> and what is it, Ollivander's his little wand shop? It, it's it's literally to the point now, like you can go online, it's like it's like buying furniture. there's so many options. Yeah. You can get all the types of wormwood's the one that kinda like made this, you know I don't know when I say famous, but like publicized kind of but they're all oh, yeah, yeah all the smaller manufacturers are catching up and their quality is just fine for for most folks so yeah it's it's cool all right so my uh my number three um i've just called it uh sort of component cups um where you've got a game like charterstone i'll use it as an example there are what eight different resources in that game having each resource in a nice little cup easy to pass to somebody to pick or easy to grab and hand out. Um, I, uh, again, being more uh, frugal when it comes to the component uh, accessories, I guess, I've gone to dollar stores and got little cups. Um, now, for certain games, whether it's, you know, or, or certain groups, I'll bust out, like, the fancy component cups, like uh, – a family would do from their china cabinet when when they have a fancy dinner. Those green dishes. Um, so I've got these, I've got these metal nice. Go antiquing. Uh, exactly. I got these metal metal nice dishes for the components, and they're easy to you know scoop out and gab and grab. Um, I guess what is it? Game gamer trays or game trays is like the yep. the big company that does that kind of stuff. But again, like I said. If you're gaming on a budget, like you can go to a dollar store and get these little containers, and they go a long way. Um, and again, they come in different shapes and different sizes. So, like, if you want to mix it up, or you need different sizes depending on the amount of component that needs to go in it. And it doesn't look—it do- actually doesn't look tacky at all when it, when you're on the table. It actually helps. 
So my number three is, I guess I'll just call it component cup or component cups. So the, uh, I have what game bins? I think Mini Market sells them. And they yeah, sell, game bins. They yeah, go that's on the other sale one. Right? For like I don't know, like fifty nine, sixty nine cents every so often, and I'll buy like forty of them. And they they have lids, so you can like close them. And when you open it, you basically have two trays: the lid and the tray. That stuff's already in. I have been replacing the plastic bags in most of my games where I can fit them with these containers so I don't have to deal with the bags anymore. And it's awesome. So yes, that's uh, <laughs> that's also on my list, but I won't tell you what number. Keep the anticipation. Mm. All right, number three for me is a really stupid one, in my opinion, but very valuable as gamers because we like to drink, and that is some kind of good cup holder. I don't have anything yet because I don't have a permanent table to play at in my basement. But at some point in time, I am getting these. One spilled drink is all it takes to ruin one of your games. Mm. And we always have bottles of beer, cans of beer, glasses full of beer, soda, whatever, sitting at our table. And it is amazing to me all the times we've played and we haven't spilled yet. But I can tell you it's going to happen. And at some point in time, I'm sure to all of us that, partake in this hobby it has happened so good i mean you want to talk about russian roulette when it comes to board gaming like that's a thing like (laughs) yeah so to go with my comment earlier i didn't think we'd be talking about baggies and cup holders uh in a podcast but here we are i think that is one of the most valuable things you can invest in and i don't have any good recommendations yet because i haven't really looked into it because i know once i get the table that i'm supposed to get in the basement i'm just going to like drill these undermount cup holders into the table to keep everything off the surface. But yeah, that is my number. Yeah. And again, my way to hold a cup or a glass or a can of beer. So you do not spill it on your games. Well, and Ryan knows from my setup, I have little end tables that I sit next to where you sit to play games here because I don't want a beer on that table. Right. So everyone gets their own little coffee table. Um, and those were like yard sale. I mean, they don't match. They look all awful, but they hold a beer and it won't <laughs> spill on the game. So <laughs> for now, that's good. But I- I'm with him. I'm trying to figure out a better solution to it that looks actually not, you know, like I just hit a flea market or a yard sale. Um, so number two, um, oh. <laughs> um, I, 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 I just called it recessed boards or recessed player boards. Oh my god! Yeah. Um, and I, there's just something so satisfying about fitting like your resources or your meeples or your you know your 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 player tokens when you uh, either win something or you gain something and you take something off or something on. But the fact that like. You could shake a table, you could bump a table, and your player board doesn't just get all messed up um, because of that recessed where whatever you're putting on your board or whatever you're taking off, uh, there's that little sort of, uh, what is it, like a little groove that it fits in. Yep. Um, and that's just, and again, it's simple. Again, it's what's just a couple more layers of cardboard, you know, for most games, but those who do that, oh. Just it's it's so good. I love it. Yeah. One of my most hated games. I love the game, but I hate playing it because of that 
the lack of a recess board is terraforming Mars. Your player dashboard mm. has what one, two, three, was it six or eight tracks, each one with a tracking cube on it that has to be on a given number because it dictates how much you produce the next time production happens. And if it gets bumped, you what do you do? Right? Yeah, and I've looked online so, well, to get replacements. I'm, like, I'm not doing it. Specifically for Terraform Wild, like, like you said, like there's a there was someone on an Etsy store who yes. made almost like um almost like the Sagrada, like where you slide your card oh, yeah. inside the recessed board, so like it it matches up, you know, with it, and then you can just put your stuff on top, but like it still has like the art and stuff shining through it or showing through. And again, not owning terraforming Mars, I was like, "Oh, that's awesome! I don't have to buy that." But I hear you a hundred percent. Even, even the new one, um, Ares, the the uh, the the Target version, the Ares expansion, doesn't do it. And you got cubes all over the place and just a flat piece of cardboard, and you're like, like one bump, and this thing's just toast. Yep. Yeah, I've had it happen so many times, and my son loves that game, and we've played it, and I, I'm always like, "Are you cheating, or you just?" bumped it because now you have like 15 production on credits or something and it's like impossible to tell yeah but that's a good well that's that's one where like uh again i don't own it i've just seen it and we've seen it at pax like that game too many bones like they are like everything is recessed you don't i mean you could almost play upside down (laughs) and not lose a component like how good their player boards are for that game yeah, that's a good one. Um, my number two is lighting. So you're number two. Yeah, good lighting. Um, I have, well, you know, since you've been, but I put crazy ass LED lights in the basement on all the outlets or all the all the light sockets. I have a uh, fluorescent bulb lamp above the table. It makes such a huge difference when you're playing to be able to see everything very clearly, to be able to read stuff really clearly. I don't know if this is biased because I'm now older and can't read shit anymore from a distance, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that makes such a huge... I played you know, in stores and stuff, and I played at other people's houses, and the lighting... You know, you're in a dining room, and there's some old-ass lighting fixture, and it's just impos- it's impossible to see what's going on sometimes. Um, yeah, you you... You tilt cards just to read them like yeah. off the glare. Yeah, like- <laughs> it, it, it makes such a huge difference on when you're playing, um, and so that's that's a big one for me anymore. Is where I, I look at where I play to see if I'm going to be able to read. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to have to get one of those like sets of glasses that has a little flip down lamp and magnifying lens pretty soon. But yeah, that's my number. Like two. the bookworm from '60s Batman. Yes, <laughs> exactly like that. <laughs> All right, my uh, so that being said, I'm assuming your number one is those component cups that because is right. you told me it was on your list, so that's gonna be a nice crossover. But spoiler alert, I guess. But so my number one, and again, I don't even know why this isn't on your list, and I don't know, but uh, we've joked about this so many times. Is uh, is an insert is is a you know the insert for the game, and if you don't have to buy it separately. That gets more points in my book because that means you've got a publisher who knows the struggle of, you know, putting a game away, setting up a game, break, you know, breakdown, play. Like, <clears throat> Gloomhaven. Having a game insert is the, is the call. Um, 
you know, for most games, right? There's certain games that don't need it, right? They're just a deck of cards or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Like I get that. But like, you know, like you look at like a blood rage, right? That was a had to be a broken token. Simon didn't do it. Now Simon has gotten better, but the problem is Simon will put out fifteen boxes of content as opposed <laughs> to just giving you the one box, right? Yep. Like, come on. Yeah. You know, I, which is a little annoying, but whatever. But now. like <laughs> but like but like Vindication, they came with like inserts then plus the gamer trays. Uh, you know, Wingspan has, you know, a, a combination. But then it's like once they give you the, you know, uh, you know, or even if there's not an insert, they'll give you a legend or a key on how to put stuff back so it fits as if they needed an insert right, or didn't need it, right? Yep. Um, I'm looking around. I mean, I, I got so many games that have that. And it's just like, you're just like, thank you. I appreciate it. That means a lot. Like, just that extra. And again, it's just, I mean, granted, I know you've done your own inserts with foam and stuff. I, I, I get that there's a almost a, de, a, a separate design process that goes into that. Yeah, for sure. Um, but it's well worth that. And again, I'm looking at like, I'll pay more money for a game because it has that. Because I can stand it upright. I could sit it down. I could travel with it. And I don't have to play like, oh, let's put all the things back where they were supposed to be. Game, you know, like that's the the game before you get the game, you know? Right. (laughs) So number one, uh, again, for me, has always been uh, a nice insert. So I I didn't put that because I feel like it is a gadget, a game gadget, whatever edition, and it could fit in this category. So I, I don't think you're wrong. I think I just didn't put it because I'm kind of thinking like, all right, manufacturers should be doing this at this point and more and more are, but you're right. Like for the games that don't have it, it's such a huge addition. Like Arcadia quest. I built a, f- a custom foam core insert Gloomhaven, I built a custom foam core insert. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I did that because folded space, which does custom foam core inserts has some for some of those <laughs> games. But again, it was like I could design my own, you know, and, and games like that were, uh, a player has their own sort of tokens that are unique to them. You can build little trays just for them. And um, it's just, it makes such a huge difference. I, com- I can't disagree with you at all. I just feel like um, the industry is starting to learn that we will pay an extra yeah. five or 10 bucks for that convenience. And I wish it became sort of a de facto standard. It hasn't gotten there yet, but I think in, you know, it's close. Yeah. I think in, it feels close. The next five years, we'll start seeing it be a thing. And one thing I I do notice too, not that I'm like, uh, you know, going to persecute companies for using plastic, but a lot more doing like cardboard inserts or paper inserts just to kind of be more eco-friendly or whatever. I'm fine with that too. Like it's an insert, right? As long as it works. As long as it works. I don't care what it's made of. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, um, broken token folded space, uh, and there's others out there, you know, that have these inserts to buy for the most part. Yeah. I think they're good. Uh, mini market has, I think it's called game foam. I forget, yeah. but I've bought like, um, a couple from them and theirs sells out immediately. If you don't grab the ones you need for your game, like I have one, I think for, I think seven wonders. I have one of theirs. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, above and below. I have that one for above and below. Like, 
But if you don't buy it, like when it's like even pre-ordering inserts is like a thing because yep. they won't, you know, you may never see it. Yeah. So yeah, my, my number one was, was trays. I just put bits trays. Um, I, I won't play games without them anymore. It's such a mess to just <laughs> have bags that you got to constantly reach into. It's a mess to dump shit on the table and then have to clean it up, especially like coins or any flat tokens, picking them up some pain. Um, I have bought, probably a hundred of those game bins off of mini market when they go on sale. And I put them in boxes. Now I have scythe oath Everdell, so many games that I've put components into these, these bins and leave them there. And then when I unpack the game, I just open them up and I'll dump stuff out, assign it to players and I'm done. Uh, they have completely made setup and breakdown for games a billion times easier. And as in, as great as inserts are, I think, uh, you know, there's there's some games that just don't do it, and so the next best thing is to be able to put that stuff inside the box. So yeah, those are invaluable. Agree. And and yes, you can get kind of yeah, I, I agree nice ones like uh, you know those those stylish little metal ones you have, or you can just get the the clear plastic ones like I have. It, it really doesn't matter. It's just being able for me being able to buy extras and assign them to a given game and just stick them in the box and forget about it is great. So. That is definitely a huge one for me. All right. Uh, now that we've talked about plastic bags and and cardboard inserts, let's go to our review this this episode. We got a chance to play. It's it's been a while since we played, but we got to play the full campaign of Charterstone. It is a Stonemeyer game. Um, it is probably this was our this was our what pandemic game right yeah we played we basically played, most through yeah. the pandemic uh we did we played with our our spouses so it was a four-player game it's one to six players i think this came out in 2015 if i'm correct it's either 15 or 17 um but yeah it was a 12 scenario legacy game and i don't know i know scythe has a legacy expansion but is uh, charterstone like their only stonemeyer's only base legacy game uh, I believe so. Yes. Okay. I thought so. Um, I didn't know of any others. Yeah. Um, so we, we re- got a chance to play the whole thing from start to finish felt pretty qualified that we could do a review because it's 12 games. Uh, again, we got it at four player count. I am very curious to hear how you rated this game because, um, just full transparency. I was super excited to start playing this. I had been looking at purchasing this game for months and months before we actually played it. And you had said you owned it. So I held off um, because the art drew me in and also the pedigree of a Stonemeyer game kind of drew me in. But why don't we chat a little bit about theme of this one? And, and I'm curious to hear your score on, on theme. Well, Charterstone. Do you- do you want me to give like the general synopsis and then jump into it? Yeah, let's. That, that would probably be good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, for those who don't know, Charterstone was uh, a Stonemeyer. Uh, I guess, like like Ryan said earlier, it's their. I believe it was their first slash only at current uh, in the legacy genre of board games. Legacy was something that started with. Uh, what risk? Risk then pandemic. Pandemic. Yep. And then Rob I Davio. believe Charterstone was like, yeah, Rob Davio. And this was like the next one in that I think sort of trend. Um, and 
basically it is a and again at, at the beginning of the game you don't know a lot about it so i'm not so i guess in general spoiler alerts maybe as we talk through this um but again this game has been out for <laughs> yeah i have no compassion so, <laughs> yeah yeah me either so um but like so it's a it's a worker placement um civilization like mild civilization little town builder a little bit of engine building in there. um with with like a like a, a peppered engine building mechanic yep um because there's uh, maybe hold on engine building is probably not there maybe it's more like combo building mechanics i guess i don't consider it necessarily an engine builder like you can do that but yeah i mean i don't know if it's you can kind of it's like a very lame old engine engine builder like we'll get into the game it's very basic engine right yeah like but because your own region mild and it's not like to what other people can place on it yeah and it's not like oh i do this then i do this 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 and this it's more of like i do this and then this happens Right, yeah. like it's more of a smaller engine, I guess. Less, like a, it's a one-step Rube Goldberg. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but as you as you go through, you get a different. I guess I'll call it a scenario, somewhat of um, of each sort of um, playthrough. Now, granted, we uh, there were a couple key rules that, for whatever reason. We, we fudged up, guys. Really? What's that? So we fudged up, guys. Yeah, we definitely did some fudging. Um, I think what the first three playthroughs, something like that, yeah. probably. Yeah, I think it was. The so first it was like three the games. fourth or fifth. We really like nailed it. But like, so there was a mechanic where since we only played four, there was a way where like certain cards were supposed to go into, um, this this main deck where it was a pool for everybody. And then at the beginning of every game, we were supposed to dig through it and then put those stickers out on the board, um, in the, in the sort of the empty two towns. Um, and then the other mechanic was the actual mission, I think, for each scenario. Like we missed the first, like two or three, um, where it just, I don't know, it just didn't, it, it just felt unnatural. It, like to, like this one card on the board was what you were aiming for, but yet you're still trying to go for win and, victory points and you know building out your town and your civilization kind of thing um so but but we righted that ship pretty quickly um again during the pandemic so i had a lot of time to do some reading uh and i was like oh and i was just you know texting ryan i'm like ah we messed that up so next month we'll have to fix that and then like we another month will go by i'm like ah we kind of messed that up too <laughs> you know because you're in the moment you're just moving so fast and yeah. you just want to get to a game so um, but yeah, it's um, again a, a gen, just a, a a solid, I guess, worker placement style um, game at its core. Yep, I would agree. With so, all, that. all right. So jumping into the room again, uh, the review uh, we do. Uh, let's see, five categories: theme, balance, fun, uh, component quality, replayability. Uh, we do an average of all those categories, gets you a final score. And at the end, as our uh, podcast is named, by playing this game, would you lose friends? So uh, starting with theme, uh, I rated this a three. 
Um, I felt it was very, again, it was like the artwork and the style of it is very unique. It's cute. It's nice. But like from a theme perspective, like I wasn't like, oh, I'm this guy in town and doing this stuff. It was just like, okay, this could have been, it could have been any type of universe. It could have been any type of world. The mechanics didn't make, you know, the theme anything. So I just sort of went middle of the road with it. Uh, with a with a solid three, I'm right there with you with the three. I think uh, so. The the theme, the story behind the game is there's like this ever king, and you're supposed to you and and five other players are supposed to go off and build this kingdom in the countryside for the ever king and and appease him, and hopefully he'll pick you as his successor. And throughout, we'll, we'll talk about this a lot more in some of my other ratings for those categories. But that theme. <laughs> sucks like it just didn't hit home ever and part of that is because yeah. what ken said like you never feel like you're really doing anything towards that end like yeah you're building a little town and stuff but like whatever um i think the yeah the ever king doesn't have a a presence no that he should like almost like regardless of your player count there should always be the ever king in a way like yep. it would have i don't know and th- there is I'm some like tiny little injections of him as a character, as an NPC or whatever throughout the course of the game, but it's so minute and meaningless that it just doesn't matter. And at no point in time was I happy with the story of the game. And that really, to me, was a big draw. If you're going to play a legacy game and you're going to play 12 games of a, of a single game in succession, there damn well better be a good story behind it. And this just did not deliver. And I, th- I just... Judging from general response I've read about and listened to, you know, from other reviews of Charterstone, that's one of the biggest knocks on this game is that it just fell flat in so many ways on story and narrative, and that that really hurt the score for me. So I do think it had some cool theming elements. The art was great. Um, you know, building a town can be pretty fun. The buildings were unique per per like persona they call it. Um, but I think yeah, that was the theme of the game fell flat, unfortunately. Yeah, and, and again, well, hold on, just real quick. Yeah, I mean, not knocking again, not again, not trying to pile on, but it was almost like when you look at like what's what what Jamie does and Snowmire. This wasn't his story game, right? Like, I have a feeling we're gonna see a very heavy narrative story game from him at some point. Is my assumption. Right, because he tries to hit all the different types or all the different mechanisms, right? But this was his sort of legacy worker placement, you know, combo. The thing, in a way. the thing that you know, the thing that bugs me. And you might be right. Maybe he's going to do that at some point. I don't think so. I think he's like. There's a term. There's a term, basic bitch. Like I think his games are kind of like. <laughs> almost basic bitch masked in really good production quality. Not that these games are bad in any sense. I just think that yeah. we should just name this episode an homage to Jamie Stegmeier. Um We talked about it a lot, yeah. But what, what I was going to say is that uh, I, I think the game had so much promise when we opened the box and got the first three or four games in. Like I was legit excited to get the next game. It had so much. So this promise. is my first, and then the narrative legacy the game. Back. You know, yeah, 
you know, and, and again, like, I, I, and I'll be honest with you, I thought, like, I was more happy that the four of us, you know, yourself and your wife and, and me and mine, like, we had something, like, we latched onto it. Yeah, right? it was like great. We, they, they were looking forward to it. Yeah. All right, so you want to take balance? Yeah. Um. So I gave it a three and a half, and... I say balance at a three and a half because I think the game to game balance is good, but I also think maybe it's just me and like galaxy braining this game, but I won six out of our 12 games should have been seven, but I let my wife win one. So I wouldn't get punched in the throat. Uh, if I'm winning over half of the games out of 12 games, I think there's a balance issue. Uh, I'm not, that good at board games to, to justify having that kind of win rate at something like this. Um, I think there were some busted ass combos in the game that if you found them, you had everyone was just eating your dust score wise the whole game. Um, and my other issue with balance, and this also tie into fun for a little bit for me, the end game conditions to decide who wins the ultimate winner of the whole campaign is just dumb. It's it's not great. Uh, and it could have been done in a way that wasn't so punitive and or kind of unfun. It's essentially four cards. And if you're the last one to pick the card, you're kind of screwed. Um, and on that card is essentially, you know, four or five different potential uh, tracks or whatever that, that dictate how much you're going to score at the end of the game towards your final score. So um, but but hold on, let me let me back up one second with you devil's advocate. eh? The uh, the cards that determine endgame scoring. Yeah. What was the event that triggered it? Was it one of those, uh, what are they called, the field goals or goals or whatever it is? That Was it based on that card of that game? Yeah. That one? Yep. That brought those out? Yep. And then based on how you did in that game, determined when you picked from the sort of endgame cards, right? I believe so, yeah. Which... Like the outcome okay. of a single game of twelve deciding your fate for the I, whole campaign seems kind of. I goofy. hear, I hear you, I hear you, I hear you. It was just, I guess, but if you think about it thematically and story wise, it it made sense. But to your point, I I, I couldn't believe that you won that many games and where you finished. <laughs> yeah, you. I mean. So for, for listeners, Ken ended up winning the whole campaign, and I think I was second. But I was a, not a close second, which, for, again, Dude, for- I think I won, like, what, once or twice, if that? Yeah. Like, I could go pull the boxes, yep. pull the tuck boxes, but, like... And you had two or three wins. But, like, what... It- and, and Liz had two or three wins. Kim maybe had one, and I had the rest, and you won. <laughs> and, again, it had, it had a lot to well, do with it- that card. Well, that was the thing. Like, I was, I might have been second at picking those cards. If I'm thinking, if I'm remembering the game right, it was either second or third. I wasn't last. Yep. But like, I think I was last. The way, the way, um, I was playing my game throughout the whole, you know, throughout all the sessions, uh, they, you know, Liz and and my wife had passed me this card that was like the one thing I was doing differently than everybody else had the highest point 
trigger, right? So it was just oddly dumb luck in a weird way. Yep. You know? Yeah. I think that affected and my again, balance score. And again, you I try think, to play your game. I think game to game it was it was very uh, balanced for the most part. But I, I think overall, you know, that the balance of the whole campaign is off. So that's why I gave it a 3.5. So I am just a hair uh, higher than you. I gave it a four um, because, again, going into that game, everyone has a chance to set their buildings, pick their persona. You know, once you get through, like, you know, three, four games, you pretty much know how the game plays. You get it. Yes, there might be a new mechanic, a new building, but the game is still the game. And everyone has the same shot at winning based on the strategies of your buildings, your cards, your personas, and everyone has the same chance to to win a game. Um, Now, to your point, deciding endgame scoring based on a single card where you could get the worst card possible based on what you did for, what, was it maybe nine games at that point when we got that card? Ten games? Something like that? Yeah. Like, that just doesn't... I can see... that. That's where I lost that point. Like, it was just like, that's just silly. Like, it has nothing to do with how you played 12 games. Right. If you don't get the right card. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's weird. To, to really bolster your score. Um, it feels tactical. Because again, everything you've done, yeah, everything you've done gets you points. If you've done something better than your other opponents, you want to get that card that like has the highest points. Like I think it was what twelve times twelve of whatever that would be, yeah. right? It was like something twelve like sixes and eights and some fours and a couple threes or twos. But like again, you if you don't get that card based on how you played, then it's like, oh well, I don't even have a shot. It's almost like a weird catch-up mechanic to a degree uh, at that point. But if you don't know it at that point, you don't maybe strategically pick the right card. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah and, and like you so tend to play legacy games, at least from my experience other legacy games we played, you tend to play with the long picture in mind, but you still try to win the games. You still want to win the games because there's usually some inherent benefit from doing so. And so it's battles versus war. You're trying to win the war, but you have to do it by winning little battles, right? (laughs) Yeah. But you also, you know, know? Clank Legacy is a good example. And this is a good example. Like there's story elements that you still want to hit up and uncover because that's the cool part of a legacy game, right? Is the narrative, the story. Uh, Yeah. But the difference here is the the story of Clank, you had to unfold or it would cost you. Charterstone, it didn't. Right, Charterstone didn't have that necessarily. Well, I think it did. Like, so there were certain times where mm-hmm. if we, we finished a not scenario like Clank does it. We didn't achieve some type of goal. Like, we all had to build a certain number of buildings or whatever it was. Then the Ever King would be pissed, and we would get some type of penalty or whatever. But it was always like, yeah, who cares? It wasn't punitive enough, and you still, you know, wanted to try to win because yeah. the benefits were there. How about fun? All right, so fun. So I gave it a three. Wow, that's all um, I thought. Now, granted, I um, I've not, we've not busted it out with, with again, with our wives to, to, because again, the one of the unique things about this this Charterstone game is it's a legacy game, but at the end of those twelve, 
you don't throw it away. It actually is a very unique worker placement game then that only you have because what buildings your players chose, what stickers you put on the board, what rules you did, like it's very unique to you and your game. So, uh, so that was one of the drawing factors of why I wanted to buy this. Because most legacy games, you, you play it and you have to throw it away and it's garbage. It's a waste of 80 bucks, 60 bucks, whatever it may be. This was like 50 bucks and you get to keep it, or maybe it was 80, maybe it was 70. 70, you get to keep it, something like that. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Um, cause again, I'm, I don't have many worker placement necessarily style games. So I was like, cool. I get to play a legacy game and I get a worker placement game. Uh, I thought playing through the 12 scenarios, I enjoyed it. It was cool. I almost have no desire to open it back up to play yeah. whatever it is that Same. we built. Like, so it's like, and, and it, and it's kind of sad because like, I love the art. I love the mechanisms we played. I love the minions. Spoiler, right? Like, <laughs> it's cool. It's unique. I mean, you look at like Scythe, right? Like Scythe had, you know, these, these, these nations with robots. Right, so these were like villagers, but then they had like robot butlers or cats or ghosts, and like it was cool, like it was unique aspects of that, which again make no sense thematically and story wise, but it was cool. Yep, you know, to have not just your workers, but then you had the minions, right? Yeah, it was very distinct. But again, it wasn't like again. I gave Nidavellir a five. I know you don't give fives. But, like, if you compare this to Nidavellir, I'll play Nidavellir uh, a thousand times more than I would be like, let's play Charterstone because it's fun. Yeah, I think like, it's, it would be like, it's just, let's try our game we built or let's start over again. Now we have mechanics and we know what's going to happen, but maybe not even do that again. I don't know. I just, yeah, the, I don't know. There's just better worker placement games out there, I think, is the problem. Like, you want to play it for the legacy experience and the story, but when you're done, you yeah. look at that compared to like Everdell or some other worker placement game that's out there, and you're like, eh, oh. it's just, I'm not going to do it. There's just better options. I play Everdell every day yeah, over this. That's a great game. Uh, I have a three, right. three and a half. But yeah, three. Okay. Yeah, I thought you'd be a little higher. I'm kind of surprised. Three and a half for me, pretty much the same reasons as you. Like, I had a lot of fun when it started, and I couldn't wait for it to be over by the end because I was just so disengaged with it. And I also, to be completely honest, like, I, I could win most of the time so easily. Like, there was a game I remember. I, I basically just got up and walked away from the table because uh. I had the game locked down already. Like, and it's like the this progress track you move out we had like five or six you know rounds to move that yet and i'm i'm ahead so far that no one can catch me so i don't know i i think the theme is weak but there are things about the theme that make it fun i think it's a legacy game so inherently i want to have fun because i like legacy style games although we'll talk about this in a future episode i've fallen way off that wagon um oh just isn't that fun it's good at at first, and then it gets really weak over time. So yeah, three and a half. And then so just wait till we take our just legacy, our legacy podcast only. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many out there. We'll we'll, we'll cover more of them. And yeah. I'd love to have a longer discussion about legacy in general, what we think yeah. works and doesn't work about it, and that will absolutely be a topic at some point in time because I could talk for an hour about that. Um, component quality. So component it's a Stonemaier game. 
you know what you're getting. Everything yeah. was very good. Metal coins. Uh, I don't. Was it kickstarted your copy? No, I don't think it was a Kickstarter game. Okay. Yeah. So I, as soon as I heard it came coins. out, like I heard it, it was like a Stone Myers doing a uh, a legacy. You could pre-order it right away, and I feel like I was okay. like an early pre-order guy. So I don't think gotcha. it was kickstarted. Okay. Yeah, I mean everything about the game component-wise was great. My only knock was I don't think it had inserts, so that's that's a problem. But the tuck box where the kind of legacy deck lived, um, there was a lot of downtime in between games trying to get through that to find the cards you need. Uh, I don't know if it was just us or it just was kind of poorly organized or whatever. I feel like dividers would have been helpful in that box. I think that was probably the weakest thing about the components. But everything else about the game was beautiful. Production value was great. Art's great. So, yeah, I gave that a four for component quality. So again, uh, it's a Stonemaier game. I, I gave it a five. Um, you don't need, um, you didn't need inserts because it was all, uh, all the components fit into the boxes that then fit into the big box. That's true. Um, not, you know, not being a jerk to your comments. No, no, by I any completely stretch. forgot about that. Um, uh, so it didn't need the insert. I could, I could, again, you could play it upside down. Nothing's, you know, it's all going to stay where it needs to stay. Um, the tuck box comment that you made, uh, I hear you. Um, but again, if you think about it, we mess up that one rule about having to return certain cards. So you may not have had that many things in your tuck box yeah, every true. time. So uh, again, uh, but again, it's still my, I mean, the components are great. The meeples are great. The coins are fantastic. Uh, I forget. We, we're making, I, I'm trying to think of what some of the, the resources where we had different names for them, right? But like you know, pumpkins and, and it was fun. Yeah. No, again, it just it was cute. It it fit. It again thematically, the components made sense. Yep. Um, yeah, like all resources what, what it produce was. in a village to build shoes or you know a brick house or whatever the whatever it was. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. had you had brick, you had steel, you had iron, you had pumpkins, Coal. grain, yeah, wheat, 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 yes, wheat, wheat. You had a wheat. Uh, but yeah, again, it's Stonemaier. You're gonna, you know what you're getting. You're you're paying for that quality as well. Yep. So, I, again, I'm not afraid to give a five when it's warranted. <laughs> All right, that's enough. So, uh, replayability. Um, this is a tricky one. Um, uh, but again, much like some of my other categories, I went middle of the road. Uh, I give it a three. Again, we played twelve times. Uh, there was enough that kept us going. Now, maybe it was just to, uh, let's just get this over with as opposed to quitting a legacy game early. Um, but, um, but again, uh, you, you gotta give it some credit. This is the also legacy game that you spend money on. You can play after you're done if you want to play this game again. Uh, so it's gotta get some credit, uh, for doing that that other worker placement or not worker placements, uh, other legacy games have not done. It's a once and done, pass to a friend or throw it away. This does not, is not that. You get to play it again and you can play it again. So for that, I just, again, middle of the road, gave it a three. Yeah, I, I, I put a four. And the reason is because A, what you just mentioned, you can play it again, take it out of the box and just play it, you know, at your, your copy that's unique to you after 12 games and the legacy campaign being complete. 
but they also sell a recharge pack, which is pretty cool. Um, there aren't a lot of legacy games that do that. In fact, I don't know of any, but there, I'm sure there's some that I just don't know of, but that basically lets you, you know, play Charterstone legacy all over again with a different group of people. And that's really cool. Um, so while I don't want to play it again, I could, if I wanted to, with a whole different group. And that may be a cool experience. And the fact that they support that is nice. So I, I gave it a four for replayability. So my final score ended up being a 3.6. Um, I probably would have given a component quality a little bump now that you mentioned the tuck boxes and stuff because I forgot about that. So maybe a little bit closer to a 3.75 for me. Uh, I also came in at a 3.6 Okay. Um, with uh, three threes, a four, and a five. Yep. Um, yeah, it's so it's just it's a <clears throat> unique experience. Uh, it's a legacy game, so you, if you're looking for a legacy experience, I think it is worth trying. Um, just the caveat being that if you're looking for an experience where narrative and story is important, and to me personally, I think legacy experiences have to have that to be engaging for as long as you have to play this game. It doesn't deliver. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, right, you do, what, 12, 12 sessions? Yep. It was, what, sometimes, what, two, three-hour games? Essentially, yeah. If not more. Right? In the beginning, it was a lot longer, but, like, <clears throat> average, you're looking at, what, 36 hours you're going to spend in this? Yep. You know? I will s- at minimal, maybe? I will say, to uh, to give the game some credit, the thing that I think I like the most about it during our plays was the evolution of how you played and your what your workers did, um, unlocking those yeah. minions. Um, you know the uh, the cards and buildings evolved. There's a lot of upgrades happening. There was enough there to keep you engaged, like Ken said, and that is a good testament to the design of that game. It's just it doesn't hold up over twelve games, and it just didn't. Yeah, but again, almost a four <laughs> on a scale yeah. of one to five, right? Yeah, I, I, it's almost I think there. It's it's worth the experience, especially now you can get it cheaper. I think, but um, as far as legacy games go, there's there's better options out there. It's just the the theme may click for some folks. The, uh, the simplicity of it, the the fact that it is worker placement may also click. So it it is something that's going to get played by certain audiences. But I think as a whole, it's just you and I both agree it's it's not more than a four uh, as a game. Yeah, I, I'm not mad at it by any stretch. Um, I'm glad it was something that the wives could play yeah, and, and keep their attention. Um, you know, uh, again, probably towards game, what, eight or nine, it was more of like, oh, let's just get this over yeah. with, kind of. Yeah. But, but, so, but I, again, I was in it throughout the whole thing because I didn't, I wanted to know how it was going to end. Yeah. You know, it's like, you just. That's, that's legacy, you're like, right? Oh. You're, you're on the hook. Yeah. Exactly. So, and you're going to sink that much time? Let's get it done, you know? Right. And again, this is not a game you're going to lose friends over. This is like, again, uh, if you're not a, if you don't drink, this is a, <laughs> this is, you could sip tea in, in an afternoon and just play this game. It's very quiet, calming. Uh, the art is soothing. It's not offensive to the eye. Um, you know, again, this is a nice couples game. It's like, uh, you know, legacy bridge <laughs> in a weird yeah, way. It's, right. It's like, very <laughs> chill. It's a chill worker you know? placement model. Yeah. I do think there's some yeah. moments where it can get testy where you're contesting certain sites on people's areas or, you know, there's, yeah. there's cards that they really want or need and you, you put pill for them. But 
Yeah, for the most part, not a table flipper and, and not going to make you lose friends. Yeah, yeah, you're not gonna you're not gonna have fights about it and go to bed angry on it. No. <laughs> Although my wife did get pretty <laughs> pissed at me winning six games. Let's just say that. Uh, all right. Well, I mean, you you had that one combo <laughs> that was just so dumb. Like, and then it was just like, <laughs> oh, I'm gonna do this, and then I'm gonna do this, and then I'm gonna do this again, and then repeat. Yeah. Oh, that's twelve victory points. And then the oh, that's twelve victory points. Here's more iron. Oh, well, the best part. Now I'm at sixteen victory points. Gaining victory points on your turns was was my favorite. Yeah, that, that pissed was... everybody off. But like I said earlier, there yeah, there were some was... combos out there that if you could pick up on them early enough in the game, you just sat there and autopilot. Yeah. Yeah, and again, maybe that had something to do with again uh, that one rule that we did could where be. we put out more buildings, right? You may not have had those buildings, right? So, yep. I, uh, <laughs> that almost makes me want to play it again just to see <laughs> and play it the right yeah. way. To be f- all right, moving to be on. Fair, right? It is an anomaly when I win fifty percent of fair. the games we play. To be fair. Uh, to be fair. Uh, so that's Charterstone. Uh, let's jump to stuff we're looking forward to. I have not backed or bought anything new in the last two weeks just thinking out loud is there anything I could- oh i'm wrong i did get the dice forge expansion at a local bookstore that i am looking forward to getting to the table soon um i do like dice forge it's just one of those simple kind of you know roll press your luck games um in a way and the expansion adds a lot to it so i'm excited to see that but i have not other than that have not picked up anything so i'm very curious to hear in your October sober period where you couldn't game, there had to be a lot of spending going on on your side. All right, so uh, honestly, it um, where to start? It's um, it's it's actually been a mild month for me. Really, uh, I'm 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 trying to be good. Look at you on it, like and and trying to be a better like work through my addiction, so to speak. Um, but I have, uh, another callback to episode one. Um, obviously as we talked, uh, the Masters of the Universe campaign has ended. Uh, it turns out there are four characters that ended up not being made. And there's a hashtag going around called, uh, Justice for Jitsu. Now Jitsu if you're familiar with He-Man or unfamiliar with He-Man, is the evil sort of counterpart to Fisto. So Fisto had this giant silver fist, and Jitsu was this uh, Asian sort of samurai guy, but he has a gold karate chop hand. So it was like you had this big silver gauntlet versus the silver chop hand. Um, and for whatever reason, he never got made, and he's like... You know, again, a staple in the He-Man Seminal universe. character um, in the He-Man lore. So, again, there's – and there's people that are like – they're like, ah, I'm done. And they're trying to cancel their pledge. And I'm like, really? Over four pieces of plastic? We're going to be this upset? But whatever. I get it. The Maybe there's a – Yeah, right. Uh, so, there's only – so, again, tying back to it, right? Because I think in that first episode – at that point, there were seven days left, and I had a list of things that didn't happen. Well, oh my god, did that really ramp up? <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and yes, I think officially, uh, Clash for Eternia is my most expensive Kickstarter at current. 
Um, so that was, again, throwing back to episode one, uh, a little bit of an update on that. Uh, so again, um, I, uh, I, I actually canceled some pledges, you know, since we, since we recorded last, just because I was trying to be good, trying to, uh, I'll be honest with you. I'm saving up for two things. One, uh, Dice Throne Marvel uh, is very intriguing to me. Yeah. I'm a big Marvel guy. I figured you'd be older. Uh, the fact that what I've heard is they are not just retheming the characters. It's going to be almost like if you think about Villainous when it came out for Disney, yep. then they did Villainous Marvel. It's not a, oh, we just took the Corolla DeVille powers and now gave it to Deadpool. It's, no, Deadpool's unique, right? And that, again, just example. Um, but like, so again, depending on price point and the characters that may or be not may, may or may not be something I'm going to jump on, but I'm holding out for it, which is next. What is it next Tuesday, the 25th, that thing drops or maybe, yeah, the 26th, I think it is, or the 28th. It's either Tuesday or Thursday of next week. So that's coming again. I'm trying to reserve. Um, however, uh, and then also the other one is, um, I think it's Simon's, is it 50th campaign is coming out? Wow. So that's like, so who the heck knows what they're going to do? It's probably going to be awesome. I hope it's not. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, because uh, I don't need another 15 boxes of something. I'm not going to get to the table quickly. Um, but, but again, so I'm I'm trying to you know curtail that back. However, there were a couple things that uh, have have piqued my interest. Uh, one is it's called Paint the Roses. Um, oh, is it the Queen? This of is from Hearts North Star Games. Yes, it's an Alice in Wonderland themed uh, co-op puzzle game in a way. Um. Where you, you're working together, but you have that limited communication. Cause I think you can't, like the crew or the game, like you can't really say, I'm trying to make the roses this. Like you have to like figure out ways of helping and working with your partners. Um, against, uh, you know, against the game almost. Uh, again, North Star, uh, I'm a big fan of North Star's games. Yeah. Same um, here. I also, uh, I'm a sucker for Alice in Wonderland. I don't know what it is. I always loved it. Um, I always love that theme. I always love those characters. I love that universe. So it's like, all right, you got North Star meets Alice in Wonderland. All right, we'll try it. Plus, again, I felt I think it's gonna be something like the family can play, right? Yep. Like with the with yeah, my son like or with my wife, or or even just the four of us, right? You know, one you know one time we get together, you know, just a, a simple fun like we did with uh, Stardew Valley, you know. Yep. Um, uh, and then the other one I backed uh, is called Kabula. Uh, now, right now, Kabula sits at, uh, and the reason it's important that I'm saying this and getting this right, Kabula only sits at 25% backed with 28 days left. Um, I have, I have this suspicion. That if we don't, if Kabula doesn't get backed, I'm going to be very sad. This is one of those that, like, it 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 feels like cosmic frog in his in, in its obscurity, right? And, and its weird theme, 
right? Okay. It's a completely different game. It doesn't play anything like it. But the most the, the other thing about it is it looks like it's almost like characters from OP Arena oh. where they have that type of humor with the game. Okay? And it's characters, not only the characters you get to be, but the characters you fight against and the other aspects of the game. And uh King of Average put out a video on it. He put out some feedback that again, he loves the game. He likes the, you know, he likes the game. Uh and the developers, it sounds like they're taking his feedback on some of the things. So but again, it's it's still early. There's 28 more days, but like I want to play this game so bad. Like uh you know, the video for it it, again, we talk about play games with friends. This one could be that type of game that you really, really get mad at somebody. <laughs> and I like that. Yeah. Right? Like, you know I like that. We like yes, that. Yes, we do. Right? That, that's the... Like, again, we love each other so much that you could still be so nasty and mean to someone at a board game table. And, <laughs> and then just like... And you're like, all right, cool. And then you just do it again the next month, like, or the next week. Like, I like that about it. Right. Yeah. Um, Fuck you. You ruined this whole game for me. Oh, all right. Drive safe. <laughs> yeah. Give a hug and then see you, buddy. <laughs> yep. All right. And my, yeah, my last one, and this one. is I my. I haven't seen that one yet. Oh, Kabul. It looks so fun, dude. It looks so fun. Like, it's. Is that the one you just I don't know. It just, recently? I just, yeah. I, I It was uh, Tuesday. What's it called? I think again? it just popped on Tuesday. Kabula, K A B U L A. Yeah, you did send it to me. Okay. Uh, so I'm hoping we get this out. Hoping we get this out in time that people can 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 go and look at it because I really want this game. Like <laughs> it, it looks bizarre. <laughs> like it just looks weird. Like in a good one way. of uh, just yeah yeah yeah. It's it, again it, it it gave me the same like intrigue like when i was like oh i wonder what cosmic frog's about right because cosmic frog has this unique weird theme like this has that in spades right like um and again it's just like you're fighting over a tree and then once you have the tree like then the whole world turns against you and like you're like the like the uh whatever demon you have at the time he then sets his focus on you and you're not only fighting other players because the goal is to get this. It's called the Kabula, I guess, is the tree, this the weird floating tree. Um, but like, it's it just you know, again, it's got that OP arena type style of humor. Like some of it's inappropriate, and if it is for your kids, you can take them out. Others, you can just leave it in, and you're fine. Um, all right, so that's the. So again, I backed it. I'm hoping it 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 wins. Uh, obviously, Paint the Roses was funded in like fifteen minutes. Yeah, but, like, this one is like, it's a, it's you know, a little I just, out there. it's one of those like little engines that could. Yeah, that I'm hoping. It, it's you know just what I mean? strange enough uh, that it should get enough support. I would think, but we'll see. Speaking of, and then uh, uh, quick, quick oh, interjection. Sorry. Speaking of Cosmic Frog, if if you do have that game or you are a fan of that game, I, I own it and I love it, and the artwork on that game is fantastic. The uh, creator of the game is getting posters art prints made of the art in the game that you will be able to order i think in the next couple of months he had them at gen con um, i'm gonna definitely pick up some for the for the basement when i get uh the basement finished for the board game room but if you're interested in that 
keep an eye out on the board game geek forums for that game. Uh, they update the thread there every so often. Oh, that's awesome. You're not going to hang those next to your wingspan painting. No, she <laughs> wants that in the dining room. So I'm pretty sure cosmic frogs won't be in the dining room. I'd put them there. Well, well in my house, they would be if I, <laughs> if I'd have my druthers and the last one, uh, I just backed it today. Um, and again, it goes back to, again, ties to episode one. Um, in, 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 a, in a strange way, right? Like, so I bought Destinies, um, because of a, a content contributor on YouTube called Quackalope. Um, well, he did it again. Uh, he put a video out today. Uh, for what he's calling uh, the best deck building arena combat gladiatorial game ever. He's like uh, your hype man. And well, again, it's like so, like watching him, and even his girl, his girl's like all oh, gaga about it, like. And they just keep, like, it was like they couldn't stop talking how awesome <laughs> this game was. And again, they have no affiliation with the company yeah. or publisher. Like, and for that high praise, I'm like, you know what? Fine. Again, uh, our buddy Eric, he's been wanting me to buy Spartacus. Uh, I, I, I just, I just never pulled the trigger on it. Uh, we've played Star Realms for years together. Uh, he, so he knows deck building. He loves the gladiatorial combat type thing. We were at PAX a couple years ago and we almost bought into that. What was that miniature game? Arena Rex yep. for the gladiatory where we almost just walked away with armies, right? All there was like what four of us, five of us that were going to go yeah. all in on that, on that game, <laughs> you know, cause I needed to have hyenas, you know, like. <laughs> You know what I mean? So it's like, uh, okay, so let's give this a shot. So it's, um, so the Kickstarter again is this week. Um, and it's a, um, it's for the, uh, it's an expansion to the game. I don't remember the game coming out prior on Kickstarter, but you can then get the, get the base game, get the expansion content. There's premium and there's standard, obviously. Uh, I'm, I'm going premium, but, um, but it's called For Glory, if I didn't mention that. Did I mention that no. the name at all? You did not. <laughs> I was about to ask. I talked about everything but the name. But yes, it's called For Glory. Uh, so definitely check it out. Again, it's funded already. Uh, so it's definitely going to be a thing. Um, but yeah, that's... that's Having three since we talked last is, is me trying to curtail. So well, that's good. You're making I it I feel count. good about it, I guess. <laughs> I'm trying, at least. Well, that'll do it. So that's, uh, uh, that's backed. Cool. That'll do it for uh, this episode. Um, thanks, everybody, for joining us. I hope you enjoyed the Charterstone review. And uh, if you have the chance to take a look at some of those gaming gadgets we came up with, we did plug some pretty good brands in here when we talked. So check those out. Do you have any closing remarks for everybody? Uh, please go back, Kabula, because I really want that game. So... uh Please go back and give that, them the does money. Does that call, it qualify you as an feels like an awesome. influencer now? 
I, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> but I want this game so bad. It, it looks weird. It, it does. But I'm intrigued. Like There aren't a lot of games like that that just pull me off. Uh, my parting wisdom is pick up a Cosmic Frog poster. The art is just awesome. That game is such a trippy, weird thing. And uh, I, I can't wait to have some of that art on the wall. They're just so cool looking. I agree. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us. Uh, we'll be back in a week with another episode. In the meantime, everybody, enjoy your games. Don't spill beers. And take care, everybody. Later. Later.